like the rest of you, I'm sure, I had a high school history teacher with an abhorrent attitude and an even more abhorrent haircut. She reminded me of the teacher from the Black Lagoon because she hated children and loved to punish them. Her go-to punishment was banishment to the hallway, which was like timeout for teenagers. The prospect of being sent to the hallway was a triple threat. First, all of your friends watched your shameful exit. Then, you missed the rest of the lecture and had to get notes from the kid who sat in front of you who inevitably had indecipherable handwriting. And finally, depending on what you were wearing that day and how early in the class period you were sent out, you might have to sacrifice the seat of your pants by sitting on the disgusting hallway floor for a few moments relief from standing. Clearly, I spent a lot of time in that hallway. As awful as it was, my teacher's favorite and most pernicious disciplinary tactic was called the sacrificial lamb. When the class became too talkative, or in my opinion, when she was feeling particularly malicious, she would announce that the next person to speak aloud would be given detention. Inevitably, the victim of this foul sentence would be the quietest student who had never spoken aloud before and had a spotless disciplinary record up until this very moment. The student's face would turn varying shades of red and white as the rest of us sank down in our chairs, overwhelmed by guilt and pity, knowing that each of us was far more deserving of this punishment than this poor sap. My teacher's assumption was that after this experience, all disciplinary issues would dissolve, as we would have all learned our lesson through the suffering of the one punished student. Thus the name, the sacrificial lamb. The reputation and good standing of one random student was sacrificed so that the rest of us would snap back into line, motivated by fear of the same fate. But I think that the sacrificial lamb is a misnomer for my teacher's actions. In biblical terms, we think of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, God incarnate who went willingly to the cross in order to bring all of us back into right relationship with God, the one with all the power who gave up his power for our sake. But the poor kid who had to suffer through a week of detention at my high school did not choose this experience for himself. Instead, my teacher was willing to give up one of her flock in order to weed out disruption. This does not at all resemble our Paschal Lamb, who taught us that a shepherd will leave 99 sheep to find one lost member of the flock. We seem to be working with two different kinds of sacrifice here. On the one hand is the idea that some greater good is worth sacrificing a smaller good, which is how my history teacher operated. On the other hand, we have the kind of sacrifice we find in our gospel, in which Jesus is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for all of creation, even the very smallest, most seemingly insignificant parts. These two views are played out in today's gospel reading, the parable of the weeds in the field. A landowner plants his fields full of good grain, but an enemy comes in the night and fills the fields with weeds. The landowner's slaves come to him in the spirit of the first kind of sacrifice. They suggest that surely the weeds must be destroyed, even if some of the good seed has to pay the price. But the master responds in the spirit of the second kind of sacrifice. He says he will endure the presence of the weeds so that every good seed has the opportunity to prosper. And in the end, they will all grow into what they were meant to become. 
It is our instinct, I think, to find this and other parables encouraging. But I would like to investigate where we see ourselves in this story. Perhaps we're the good seeds. We come to church every Sunday morning. We recycle. We donate money to important causes. We work hard in our careers to support our families. We believe that we are or deserve to be in God's favor. However, in this scenario, the world is also full of weeds. There are violent criminals. There are non-religious individuals. Worst of all, there are people who find success in life, even though they have not worked as hard as we have. They do not vote for the right political candidate, and they go to that other church. Luckily, what this story seems to tell us is that God loves us so much, God will not eliminate these weeds, lest some of us good seeds accidentally suffer. And don't worry, those weeds will get theirs in the end. First, I thought I liked myself as a good seed, but by the end of this scenario, it doesn't sound much like good news to me. It sounds spiteful and arrogant and not like the abundant life I have come to know as God's promise to us. So perhaps we, in fact, are the weeds. Perhaps, as loath as I am to admit it, those guys over there did work hard enough and did vote for the right political candidate and do go to the right church, and I bet for good measure their kids are on the honor roll. And we, schmucks that we are, have been envious, covetous, deceitful, and ungrateful. We are choking out the good seeds. Luckily, what this story seems to say is that God is not going to sacrifice us. We are somehow contributing to the ecosystem. We are not expendable. We have value. However, there's still that bit at the end about the evildoers being sent into the fiery furnace, so I'll be honest, the scenario does not any, is not any more helpful in my spiritual development than the first one. Clearly, the disciples were just as stumped as I am. They confronted Jesus as though it were a riddle. Okay, we give up, Jesus. Tell us the answer. What does the parable mean? Jesus says that the landowner is like the son of man. Not only does the landowner care for the land, but guides and instructs his servants so that they too might understand it and care for it. In this scenario, the servants have fields full of both good grains and weeds, and their job is to separate them. I know that parables like this one can be worrisome. They are reminders that at the end of all things, there will be judgment. People will get what is coming to them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not sure what our fate will be on that day. But I don't think that the world or God are this black and white. And I don't believe that this parable was meant to teach that there is good and there is evil and I've got to pick a side. Instead, unlike the servant... I have before me all of God's whole creation, both what is easy for me to love and what I can only understand is harmful. Now the good seeds and the bad seeds didn't plant themselves, just as we didn't choose to be created, good or evil. We are who we have been created to be, which includes a dizzying amount of gray area. Our jobs as creatures made in God's image is to cultivate what is good in the world around us to love our neighbors, spread the gospel, strive to be Christ-like. And our job is to separate out what is not of God, obsession with material possessions, jealousy, hatred. There are other passages like this one in the Bible that describe a dichotomy between good and evil. And I must admit to you, I am often tempted to interpret these passages as dividing up all the people in the world into one camp or the other. 
I want so badly to separate myself from people I do not like, whether they are tyrannical political leaders or the person who cut me off in traffic this morning. I don't want them to be rewarded for their behavior, and I want all of my sins to seem minor in comparison. But the truth is that none of this is up to me. I don't get to dole out God's rewards and punishments or even decide who gets them. And I don't have a choice in whether or not to be a sinner. It's part of my humanity. It seems then that the message behind these Bible passages is not to explain that some people are good and some people are bad, but to teach that both good and bad exist within us. And we are responsible for recognizing them and separating them. Like the servants in the land of the landowner in the parable, we, as servants of God, are stewards of what God has created, including ourselves. As a very close friend articulately stated, as I prepared for this sermon, we're not the seeds, we're not the weeds, we're the whole ding-dang field. And I don't know about you, but my field takes a lot of work. Luckily, God spared no sacrifice for my soul. So I can look forward to shining like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Amen.